You're listening to the Pilot Photog Podcast. I'm your host, Juan, also known as Tog. Let's listen to the story of the thrust vectoring Hornet, the F-18 Harv. The F-18 Harv, or High Alpha Research Vehicle, was a NASA testbed used to study performance at high angles of attack, or alpha. The aircraft flew from 1989 to 1996 in a three-phase research program that progressively added modifications to the Hornet. The aircraft that would become the F-18 Harv was actually a pre-production F-A-18 and the sixth one ever built. This particular F-18 was chosen as a testbed because it had a spin chute installed as the Navy had used it to evaluate spin performance and recovery. Under NASA's use, the aircraft was designated Aircraft Number 840. The HARV program was a joint effort between NASA's Dryden, Ames, Langley, and Lewis Research Centers. By the time NASA received the aircraft, it had been cannibalized for spare parts so extensively by the Navy, it was assumed that the aircraft would never fly again. In fact, engineers cataloged some 400 missing parts and had virtually no documentation of the existing wiring system, which had been repeatedly modified to keep the airplane flying. To get Aircraft 840 airworthy, the mechanics and technicians had to cut out the existing wiring, find substitute parts, reassemble and rewire the aircraft. By the time they were done, the words silk purse were painted on the fuselage, a take on the expression you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. So why was there such a need to take a fighter that had been cannibalized and spend so much time and effort into making it airworthy? To understand the need for the HARV project, we need to look at angle of attack and why it is so important to fighter planes. Fixed-wing aircraft have what is known as a cord line, which is a horizontal reference line that is drawn through the wing when looking at the aircraft from the side. As an aircraft flies through the air, it will pitch up and down, and a vector is generated between the relative motion of the aircraft and the atmosphere. This forms an angle which is referred to as angle of attack and is usually represented by the Greek letter alpha. Every aircraft has what is known as a critical angle of attack or alpha. Exceeding this critical alpha will cause the aircraft to stall. In most airfoils, the critical alpha is somewhere between 15 and 20 degrees and is slightly higher on fighter aircraft. During combat maneuvers, fighter pilots often place their airplanes at high alpha as they maneuver to get a shot, which can lead to a stall. Clearly, this is a very bad situation in a dogfight since at best there is a momentary loss of control and energy. Therefore, understanding how aerodynamic forces behave at high alpha and designing new airframes and airfoils that can perform better in these regimes gives aircraft a definitive advantage in close combat. Let's look into the origins of the HARV project. NASA has always been interested in high alpha research, and what would lead to the HARV demonstrator actually had its origins in the High Angle of Attack Technology Program, or HATP. HATP was a joint effort between NASA's Langley Research Center in Virginia, the Ames Research Center at Moffett Field, California, the Glenn Research Center in Ohio, and the Dryden Research Center. The program involved extensive wind tunnel testing, the use of computer models to predict aerodynamic behavior known as computational fluid dynamics, or CFD, and development of advanced flight control software algorithms. The program included participation from the Navy, Air Force, Marines, and member of industry and academia. 
In fact, between 1990 and 1996, NASA hosted a biannual conference which focused on high alpha research and technology. And while the HAT program was successful in obtaining some data from subscale models in wind tunnels, it was soon determined that a full-scale flight research platform was also needed. The aircraft that would be selected needed to have existing high-alpha performance. Because of this, the F-18 was the natural choice, as even in its standard production form, the Hornet has no angle of attack restrictions in its normal center of gravity position. The stage was set to begin the High Alpha Research Vehicle Program. Once the Silk Purse, or the F-18 Harv, was ready for tests, Phase 1 began in 1987 and would run through 1989, consisting of 101 research flights. During Phase 1, there were no external modifications to the aircraft as baseline data was needed. In order to capture this data, extensive instrumentation was added including additional cockpit instruments, and air pressure sensors located in a 360-degree pattern along the aircraft. These sensors allowed for detailed analysis of vortices that formed off the forebody and leading-edge extensions, or LECs, in order to visualize airflow patterns. Small ports were fitted near the nose, which would release tracer smoke. Along with tracer smoke, small amounts of antifreeze dye were released from additional ports, which would travel across the aircraft's skin and illustrate airflow patterns. Additionally, small pieces of yarn were taped throughout the aircraft which illustrated flow patterns for changing conditions. And if the idea of taping yarn to an aircraft sounds strange, talk to a glider pilot sometime. Getting back to the research, the purpose of Phase 1 was to develop flight techniques to fly and sustain high alpha maneuvers for as long as possible, as well as gain experience with the aerodynamic measurements while operating in these flight regimes. Phase 2, which totaled 193 hours, began in 1993 and would introduce major software and hardware modifications to the HARV. Most notably was the installation of a multi-axis thrust vectoring control system, which used paddle-like vanes mounted around the engine's exhaust and were made of heat-resistant nickel alloy containing chromium and iron. In order to accommodate the vanes, the divergent portion of the exhaust nozzles was removed. This did not affect subsonic performance, but did make supersonic flight no longer possible. There was also a weight penalty introduced. Between the thrust vectoring control system, a spin parachute, ballast, and emergency power system, an additional 3,700 pounds or 1,678 kilograms were added. Despite these penalties, the maneuvers that were now possible allow the HARV to perform then unheard of flight routines. In order to provide better control at these extreme conditions, a PACE 1750 computer was installed, which contained custom-written flight control laws that determined the optimum combination of control surface movement along with vectored thrust to facilitate pilot demand. This meant that once the system was engaged, the pilot used standard cockpit controls and no additional action was required by the pilot, as the software would interpret the commands and move the control surfaces accordingly. An interesting note is that the original F-18 flight control system was used as a backup during takeoff and landing. With these enhancements, the HARV was able to conduct stable flight at 70 degrees alpha, where the previous maximum had been 55 degrees. Additionally, high roll rates were achieved at 65 degrees alpha, where previously the maximum had been 35 degrees without vectoring. From 1993 to early 1994, a sophisticated pressure measurement system was installed along the engine inlets 
and even on the engine phase. These instruments provided an unprecedented understanding of how extreme maneuver conditions affect engine airflow. Phase 3 totaled 109 flights and ran from 1995 to 1996. The HARV was modified further, this time with movable strakes mounted on each side of the nose. At high alpha, conventional rudders become ineffective and yaw control diminishes. These strakes were 4 feet long and 6 inches wide and would fold flush against the aircraft's skin during low alpha flight. At higher levels of alpha, the strakes would extend and produce large side forces for yaw control. During wind tunnel testing, it was found that the strakes could be as effective at high alpha as the rudders were at low alpha. Between the installation of these strakes and thrust vectoring, the HARV could operate in three separate flight modes. The first mode used thrust vectoring alone. The second mode used thrust vectoring for pitch control and a combination of thrust vectoring with the strakes for lateral or side-to-side -side control. The third mode used thrust vectoring solely for pitch control and the strakes solely for longitudinal control. These three modes were a unique feature of the HARV project and provided a great deal of research data for control power requirements at high values of alpha. And finally, it was found that the nose strakes provided effective control above 35 degrees of alpha. The HARV was a unique aircraft that provided the art and science that is aerodynamics immense amounts of knowledge and understanding, and was flown by a wide range of organizations including the U.S. Navy, Marine Corps, the Royal Canadian Air Force, the U.K.'s Royal Air Force, McDonnell Douglas, Calspan, and of course, NASA Dryden. The HARV flew during a time that some now consider to be a golden age at Dryden. Aircraft such as the X-31, and F-15 active were contemporaries of the HARV, a truly magical time in the skies above Edwards. In case you missed it, I have a separate podcast episode on the F-15 active. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Lessons learned from these programs led to revolutionary technological leaps in aircraft design, tools, and computer modeling methods. It cannot be understated how pioneering these efforts were. What we now see at air shows was previously considered very dangerous flight regimes prior to these programs. Both the F-22 and F-35 directly benefited from this research. The HARV and its contemporaries have blazed the trail that will likely have the fighters it inspired flying through 2070. And if you're wondering where the HARV is today, well, it's on display at the Virginia Air and Space Center in Hampton, Virginia. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also check out my YouTube channel. I'll leave the link in the show notes below. And lastly, you can find me on any social media platform at Pilot Photog. Be well, stay safe, and see you next time.